welcome to the Cabramatta Vineyard Church podcast. We are a missional community in southwestern Sydney that desires to be a preview community of God's generous rule and reign. For more information, check out cabramattavineyard.org.au. So, uh, this morning I get to speak into this series that we've started uh, several weeks ago regarding prayer. And I just want to give preface to it, even even before an introduction. So this week you get a preface and then an introduction like a good book. Woohoo! Wow. Maybe a preface. We're spoiled. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But to understand what God speaks to us regarding prayer, and even to understand the scriptures overall and how God makes himself known to us through the scriptures, you, you have to be able to grasp with a, a, a different way of thinking than we think in kind of Western society. You have to be able to think in a kind of Eastern, Middle Eastern, Hebrew sort of way of thinking that embraces polar opposites. So the Bible is held together in, in dynamic tension. And to understand the revelation of God through the scriptures, you have to be able to hold that tension yourself. So what I mean by that, there's opposing truths in the scriptures. And if you just land and hold in that place, you miss the opposite. So for instance, Jesus says, like we, we, we know that, that forgiveness is a gift, and, and it's, it's nothing you can do to earn forgiveness, and it comes to you as a gift, right? We know that, right? But then Jesus also says, if you don't forgive your brother, you won't be forgiven. <laughs> so, so which one is true? Well, it's, it's, the scriptures are both and. <laughs> so there's times where you're like, I just need the grace of God. And we could say that's like a bicycle where that pedals up for you. I just need the grace of God. I need forgiveness. And so you push that pedal down, and then you find that, oh, now I've got some unforgiveness towards my brother, which I probably actually do. And um, so you push that pedal down. Do you know what I mean? But if you just stay in this one place, it's like trying to ride a bicycle with one pedal. And that doesn't really work. You end up with gravel in your hands. (laughs) So when it comes to prayer, we understand that, so James will say things like, when it comes to prayer, that you, you're not receiving because you're not asking or you're not asking with the right motives. And so we understand that prayer, there's a lot of intercession and asking God for things. Or Paul will say in Philippians to make your request to God with thanksgiving and, to, and, and supplications and to bring all your anxious thoughts and lay them before. So, so we get told that, hey, prayer looks like this, asking God, seeking God, speaking to God. But then you'll read something in Isaiah 30, verse 15. It says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. So so what I'm trying to do today is take you to that place in prayer of quietness and trust. Mm. In that place of rest and stillness. What the, the psalmist says, to be still and know that he is God. So, so this is this dynamic tension of prayer, right? So there is another dynamic tension of prayer of interceding, 
but today we're over here. <laughs> so if you only live here, you miss out on that. But if you only live here, you miss out on the salvation that comes in quietness and rest. That's probably enough. <laughs> and we're done. Does it, are you with me? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we are. All right, so that's your preface. Now your introduction. Can you pick this? Got to say this without singing. It's amazing how you can speak right into my heart. Without saying a word, you can light up the dark. Try as I may, I can never explain what I hear when you don't say a thing. The smile on your face lets me know that you need me. There's a truth in your eyes saying you'll never leave me. The touch of your hand says you'll catch me whenever I fall. You say it best when you say nothing at all. All day long I can hear people talking out loud. (laughs) But when you hold me near, you drown out the crowd. Try as they may, they can never define what's being said between your heart and mine. The smile on your face lets me know that you need me. There's a truth in your eyes saying you'll never leave me. Touch of your hand says you'll catch me wherever I fall. You say it best and you say nothing at all. Who is it? Yeah. To the shirt, to the shirt. Yeah, yeah, Ronan Keating, right? So we love Ronan Keating, right? I don't know if you know that song. But... But we, when we listen to these words, we, we understand what Ronan King was trying to say there, right? There's a communication, and we even agree with it, that, that it's like, yeah, that, that's what we agree with, that's what we want and long for, that there's a communication being expressed of a, a depth of love and a depth of knowing and intimacy between two people that communication happens even without words. And what he's saying is that that communication can just be like just a smile or just a glance or a touch of the, someone touch your hand or that, that holding of the gaze communicates a, a mystery and a depth of knowing that's like secretive but wonderful and has lots of different meaning like with, with body language we know that Hey, a, a smile means one thing and a locking of the eyes means another or a kick under the table means you need to stop talking and be quiet straight away. Right? Kick of your foot. Yeah, the kick of your foot says I've spoken too much. Or that glance when you're like, yeah, I'll just grab another beer. Which is all said without words. And we re- recognise that in romantic relationships, this is what happens, right? This is what we look for and we long for. And no one objected. When, when this song came out, no one said, oh, that's a load of trash. That never happens. As if, as if, as if you could communicate like that. No, we're like, we accept that, we agree with that, and we say, yes, that's what, I wish that. We love you, Ronan. See it again. Like, it went, to, it went to number one in the UK and Ireland and New Zealand. It went platinum here in Australia. It went double platinum in the UK. Like... Because there's this longing of like, yeah, we not only agree with that, we want that, right, in our relationships. And we understand that what he's saying here, it's not just this brainwave activity. It's not like this telepathic thing that's happening between two people. But it's actually a a communication that's deeper from that. It's like this heart communication that happens. We say that in relationships too. We say, hey, 
you know, or what, you, someone talks to you, I'm not sure about this, well, what, what's your heart saying? Go with your heart there, or, or trust your gut. That, that scientists have actually discovered in my coaching work, we talk about that the, the peptides or the receptive vessels of the brain that relate emotions and messages to our brain have actually been found in the, in the intestines. And so, you know, sometimes you're like, man, I feel that right in my gut. That those same things have been found in the intestine. So, like, we really have like a, a, a gut brain or a heart brain, right? In a sense. So, we understand this form of communication that doesn't take words when it comes to relationships, right? But when we come to prayer, where do we go? Straight to our head and straight to our brains. And if you are anything like me growing up in an evangelical conservative church, you knew that prayer was about finding the right words or finding the right formulas and the right presentation. I remember as a kid, it was a big treat to get a digital watch when I was a kid. And that meant that on Sunday mornings, we could time the church prayer and we had a ranking like rank of like the longest prayers. And we're like, oh, urns up today. That's going to be 12 minutes for sure, you know. And, and prayer was about this, this communication of words from our heads and then, and then we'd find clever like acronyms to help you pray, right? So there was that one, you probably heard that one, Acts. You know, have you heard that? Acts. Well, Acts was like, this is how you pray. Acts, and it was actually extra clever and special because that's the word in the Bible. That's the name of a book in the Bible. So this must be the anointed way to pray. And that was, Acts was simply like, hey, you, you can acknowledge God first. So A was for acknowledging God. And then C was for confession. So you say, God, you're really great, you're wonderful, and you're awesome, and I'm not. And he's all the terrible things that I've done wrong. And then T was Thanksgiving. So, God, you're wonderful and awesome. I'm not done all these three things wrong, but I thank you for being faithful in all these things. And then lastly, S was for supplication. So, things like, and God, because you're awesome and you've forgiven me, I'm so thankful. Now I can ask you for something. And so you pray this little acronym, this little formula, which, again, is, is good and, it, and, it's, and it's probably helpful. And we do, we, you know, we go to a religious setting and we pray the Lord's Prayer and we just do this kind of religious ritual rendition of the Lord's Prayer, which was the very thing that Jesus said, this is not what it's about. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying it's a good starting place. And it can be helpful. But prayer is so much more than just well-constructed words or procedures. And sometimes it's helpful to point out what it's not so we can discover what it is. But when it comes to prayer at its core, I believe that prayer is actually communing with God. It's being in connection with the Father. Which can look like a lot of different things, but at its prayer, at its heart, prayer is meeting and encountering God and communicating with Him. So this morning I wanted to look at contemplative prayer. It's also called centering prayer. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily centering yourself, although that's part of it. It's actually centering yourself on God, so making Him the centre of all that you're thinking and processing. And it's done without words. It's the Ronan Keating version of prayer, if you will. Mother Teresa was asked, um, tell, tell us about your prayer life. And she responded, well, I sit and listen to God. And they're like, oh, wow, that's great. And they said, and what does God do? 
She said, well, he sits and listens to me. So this space of communicating with God by just being in the space and having communication that is beyond words <coughs> and, even, and even beyond our thinking, sometimes um, contemplating prayer has been described as learning to think without thinking or learning to think from a dif different place, from maybe our heart brain or our gut brain or maybe our soul. Contemplative prayer is not a new thing. It's as old as Christendom itself. The, the, the church fathers and apostles um, modelled contemplative prayer. Like you think of the book of Revelation and John. It says in chapter 1, it says, uh, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. What does that mean? I don't know. But it doesn't mean, I don't think it means he was in his head. I think he was with the Lord in a deeper place than just words. The early church and uh, desert fathers, there's a, a guy called Asinius the Great. He was born in the 4th century in Rome and he served in the emperor's court. He was a great theologian. But in, in praying and crying out to God for salvation, he said, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. And the Lord replied, Asinius, flee to the desert and be silent. Live a life of silent contemplation for these are the fundamental causes that keep a man from sinning. This place of, of simply just being silent. And we can see down through the ages, other church fathers, sorry, I've numbered my notes the wrong way. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Um, we'll see through uh, other church fathers and, and then Catholic mystics and saints, such as uh, Teresa of Avila, uh, St. John of the Cross, all, all modern contemplation as the foundational source of their spiritual well-being. That being alone and being silent was, was how they met and connected with God. And, but then what happened, there was this trend that the contemplative life was kind of pushed into the monastery. So it became a monastic practice and it wasn't kind of released or encouraged in regular Christian journeys. Mm -hmm. Until about the 1960s, where the, 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 uh, a resurgence began after the Second Vatican, Vatican Council, and meditative prayer and this, this contemplative lifestyle was encouraged and, and endorsed to be revived. And so people like Father Thomas Keating began empowering lay people with understanding and models of what the contemplative practice looked like. And we saw this resurgence right through the 70s, and now, in, in both evangelical circles and, and uh, Catholic circles, we see that contemplative prayer is becoming more and more a commonplace and an understanding and a, a real kind of key to say, hey, that's a, this is a great foundation for being with the Lord. But not only were the early church fathers our model, obviously Jesus is our model for what this contemplative prayer and really lifestyle looks like. So I'm just going to read from you from Luke chapter 5. So Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, uh, healed a man with leprosy in verse 12. And then all the crowds came out and, and, and uh, were uh, wanting to be healed and and kind of crowding around him and it says but yet the news 
about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see again in Mark chapter 1, the same thing happens. Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus leads this evening of, of like teaching and revival and healing and an amazing thing happens. And it says, Mark chapter 1, Jesus got up early in the morning, went out to a lonely place and prayed. And when he came back, the disciples were like, hey, all these more people are here to be healed. And Jesus said, well, actually, we're going to this town. And what we see in the life of Jesus is this foundation for what he did and, and the kingdom ministry that he brought was this withdrawing to solitary and lonely, quiet places in the wilderness and then coming back and ministering or being directed from the Lord of what to do. And then Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out the disciples to, to go and do this kingdom stuff that he'd been teaching them. And when they came back, he said to them, come away with me and by yourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. Mm -hmm. so, so Jesus, this is the foundation of his ministry. He, he modelled it and then he invited his disciples into it. And then in, in Matthew chapter 11, these, these famous words from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, he says to all the crowd, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus models to his disciples a, a, a lifestyle of withdrawing to lonely, solitary places, and then he invites them into it, and then he invites the whole crowd to say, come to me and rest, find rest for your soul, and he says, take my yoke upon you. And we understand like a yoke was what was used for like an oxen or, or an animal to train it on the way to go. So you could get a single yoke, which is where you just go with the neck of an animal, a, big, a wooden structure, and then the, the farmer or whoever could direct the, the animal. Or you could get a double yoke so you could bring together two animals mm -hmm. and they'd walk together at the same pace in the same direction. This beautiful imagery of Jesus. I think he's saying, take my yoke upon you. And then he says, and learn from me. Like, wow. Jesus, Jesus is saying, I just want you to watch me. Watch what I do. In fact, I think the invitation from Jesus is, walk with me. Take my yoke. Here's, here's my yoke. I'm walking this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pair you with me, and we're going to walk together. Learn from me. And what's happening? And you'll find rest for yourself. You'll find peace for, for your well-being if you learn to walk the way that I walk. So if Jesus is saying, learn from me, learn to walk the way that I walk, learn to live the way that I live, and Jesus has modelled to us a, a lifestyle of advancing the kingdom and withdrawing to lonely places, then what is the way that he walks that he wants to teach us? To withdraw to lonely, quiet, solitary places and be still. So like when Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness after being baptised and the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, I don't think he spent 40 days of journaling and just crying out to God. I think it was a contemplative walk, just being with the Father in quietness and rest. 
And Jesus invites us into that lifestyle to say, this is what it looks like. Come and learn what it is to be still. Come and learn what it is to, to walk the way that I have walked. So this morning, I want to give you um, five steps of the contemplative journey because I don't, because the, the prayer, the contemplative prayer, is, it's not just, hey, here's a prayer that we do. It, it really is a lifestyle, I think, that Jesus is inviting us into. It's a, it's a journey that we, that we walk out. And so, you know, in the vineyard, we have the five-step healing model. I want to give you the five-step contemplative prayer model, <laughs> which is, which is um, I think it's ironic because I just mock things like acronyms like ACTS, but yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, this is we not a formula, right? And neither is the five-step healing model. It's just a structure to help you, right? It's just a, because when we talk about contemplative prayer, well, where do you begin? How do you do that? Well, I think taking steps is a good place to start. So the first step that you want to do in your contemplative journey is first of all, step away, step away from noise. Jesus went to quiet, lonely places. He found solitude. And 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 we understand. And I know some of you are going. You don't know the demands of my life. <laughs> yeah, I know I don't. But I don't think there are any more than Jesus's. Demands of Jesus' life. Crowds of people flocked after him, but he found a way just to find a quiet, lonely place. Our culture is full of noise. We, we, whether it's just like the traffic or the, the races next door um, here in the club or, or just the, the population of the people around us, our, our culture and our, our lifestyle is full of noise. I, I kind of feel as a, as a generation, we are the most overstimulated, undersatisfied culture. We, we are in constant demand of instant access and instant gratification. Today, my phone is not working. It, the, the light on my phone just thought, last night it was fine, and then I woke up this morning, and now my phone doesn't work. And it's been on the whole night, I don't know why. But now I'm not contactable. Like, like th there's a great dilemma in my life because I'm not at instant access to everyone. Oh, no, it's, it, I'm, you're, you're feeling my anxiety vicariously. Right? I have notes. But you know, and we, we, we have the and, and and we just and part of it is we get addicted to the noise. Don't we? We get addicted to the noise. And so we I don't know if you have this on your phone, but there's this thing on my phone called Reels, right? And you just look at this little video, it goes for ten seconds, but if after five seconds it's not entertaining me or making me laugh next time. Oh that one's funny, that's funny, I send this to Tracy. Is she right back? You're on the toilet. What are you on? Oh I'm just yeah. sorry, I'm just that's where it happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just instant gratification, instant demand. I, I built a place, I think the electrical for our house in Mossman. It was like a multi-million dollar build with like six bathrooms or more. And in every toilet, in every water closet, there was a PowerPoint right next to the toilet. And they designed their electrical themselves. There was a PowerPoint next to the toilet for charging your phone. No. <laughs> But that's but we but, you know but we have we have phones we have emails so that you know work emails you at night and you get the notification it's really hard to switch off we have these things now called iPhones right mm. and so you're in conversation with someone and they look at their phone because they just got a, an an email and I, I'm not saying these things are bad my wife has one you know in fact my brother-in-law has an iPhone uh, sorry an Apple Watch 
and, and it literally saved his life. It, it told him, hey, your heartbeat is way low, and oh, and he wow. went to hospital and had quadruple bypass. Is wow. That, is yeah, that wow. what literally saved his life? So there's, there's wonderful things in the technology and the age that we live in, right? But, but we get addicted to it and we get so used to the noise that it's hard to hear the Spirit of God sometimes in the midst of it. So the invitation from Jesus is to come away to a quiet, lonely place. You know, when you do this sort of work, you, you start to understand that the, the restless soul and very much the false self doesn't feel comfortable with space. We have to feel every space. We have to have some noise, some, some background stimulation, lest we're alone in silence and left alone with our own thoughts. Because what happens if I actually start to turn my attention to where I'm in and what am I thinking about? Um, I lead retreats uh, for, for men, and I was just down in the bush two weeks ago. We had a retreat for 30 men. And when I got there, I, 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 this is what I do. And I, I sat in my little spot where I looked down into the valley over the bush, and I was like, wow, the silence. There it is. It's just maybe a magpie or a bird in the distance. But it was silence. And at first, I'm like, wow, it's a little bit intimidating. Because <laughs> now I have to stop and be still. And like, so, yeah. So, I mean, like, you go to a football game or a cricket game, Whenever there's a break in the play, we have to fill it with music, right? Because, because we're addicted to the noise, and a part of it, I think, it covers up the deeper parts of our own life and our own soul. So step one is stepping away from the noise. That's become so familiar. Step two in your contemplative journey is letting go of agenda. Letting go of agenda. So much of what we've become a folk focused to and accustomed to is pr in prayer is, is this outcome focus. We, we've come to God in prayer because we want some form of result. We want an answer or we want something different. We want something changed. And hopefully that's a, that's a kingdom outcome that we're looking for. Hopefully there's a stirring of God's kingdom in our hearts to come. But so often it's like it's so outcome focused that contemplative prayer brings us back to a place of like this is actually just God focus. This is not about an outcome. This is not about an event. This is just about the, the, the agenda of contemplative prayer is simply Him. Just sim simply Him. And, and nothing else. So the danger with being so out outcome focused is that we, we can get caught up in the peripheral things of our life, in all those events and those circumstances that are going on, which again is not wrong, but it can easily lead prayer into talking to God about our complaints and our gripes and our things that are not wrong and the person that we want him to change. And I didn't want I pointed to the vacant chair next to you where I was. Yeah, that. Yeah. Nice cover. But it's, it's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to get caught up in praying God at our worries. And then getting up from that going, why do I still feel so worried? Because we just, just complained for the last 30 minutes to God and whatever. And there is a place for that, again, right? There's a place for that. But over here, it's like, I, I don't have any agenda. 
other than just to be with you. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 42, that my soul thirsts for God. When can I go and meet with the living God? He says, like a deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you, God. Just to be with you. It's, I quoted before, Psalm 46, 10, to be still and know that he is God. That's my, that's my purpose in contemplating prayer. And I believe that stillness is not just like now I'm physically still. It's a stillness of soul. It's a stillness of being. Of like, I'm just, I'm letting everything else go that's going on around me. And I'm just, I'm just here to meet with the God of creation. Can I just, I just want to give you like a handle to grab onto here that, to encourage you in a, in a walk of, of maturity towards faith in God. There comes times in our life, and it's often through trial or suffering, where God's not being the God that we want him to be. He's not being the Superman God that, that, that fixes everything. He's not being the God that gave you the, the perfect job that you wanted. There's some level of disappointment in God. You're not being the God that I signed up for you to be. And there's a letting go of that agenda. Well, there's a choice. You either let go of that agenda or you stay disgruntled and, and immature in, in your faith. But if you can let go of that agenda and come to a place of saying, God, you know what? It's not anymore about what you do for me or even do through me. It's just about being with you. There comes a place in maturing in your walk with Christ where you go, Jesus, just who you are is enough. Just who you are. If you did nothing else in my life, if you showed me no more favour or grace or opened any other doors or did wonderful, miraculous things, if I just have you, that's enough for me. And, and from contemplative prayer, it takes you to that place of letting go of all other agendas and just being with God. Thirdly, we will move along. Oh, let me just give you one quote there regarding that by Ronald Rollheiser in his definition of prayer, saying that prayer is relaxing into God's goodness. That's what it's about. It's letting go of our agenda and just simply relaxing into the goodness of God. Thirdly, uh, our, our third step is to become present to the moment and present with yourselves. So... What, what I like about contemplative prayer is it, it does take us from our mind into our heart and our soul because what the mind will do when we're praying, the mind will always go back to, to history and we'll be thinking about what's happened or we'll go forward to the future and we'll be thinking about what needs to happen or what ought to happen for me to put God's world in order. And contemplative prayer says, you know, I just want to be right here now and being right here now is enough. So, you know, in Genesis 3, it says, the Lord God walked through the garden. He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? He's crying out. And I think that question of where are you, it wasn't just specific for Adam. It's specific. It's, it applies to us as well. In that, and it's not even just a geographical question, like, hey, I'm in Cabramatta, Western Sydney. No, it's like, where, where are you in your, in your soul? Where, where are you in your emotions? Where are you in, in your thought life? Or... Just where are you at? And so contemplative prayer brings us to this place of, of being present with ourselves and uh, uh, 
present in the moment. And we want to do that uh, without judgment. Because this is what happens. You, hopefully you get inspired by this preach and you'll be like, okay, we're going to do contemplative prayer this week. And it'll look something like this. I found a still moment. And I sit and be still. And I'll be quiet. And I'll shut my eyes. And I'll here. And all these thoughts will come. And then you'll go, oh my gosh, I'm so bad at this. And, um, and, and, because when you open that space, like, it gets filled with all the things you've been waiting to think about. <laughs> right. Here's the key. It's just notice that stuff. And some of it's even not nice. It's like, oh, there's that angry thought, or there's that lustful thought, or there's that whatever thought. And it's like, ah, oh, there it is. And if you, if you judge it at that moment, you, you just simply empower. You just, you just give it more power. So you just want to, ah, oh, there it is, and I'm just going to let that go. It's not where I want to be. It's not where I am right now. So it's it's and it takes some skill and some discipline. Like I promise you, the first time you do contemplative prayer, you probably won't come back and go, David. That was just the most amazing experience of life. It really does take some some practice to go. Actually, I'm not going to be with my mind. I'm going to be with my soul. And I can even just let my mind switch off here for a minute and let me just be with myself and see where where I am at. And wherever I am at, I'm not going to judge it. Uh, uh, a great author that I like, Curtis Thompson, Dr. Curtis Thompson, he's a Christian psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, sorry. He, he talks about this, and, and, and then one of the terms we use in contemplative prayer language is, is, is consciousness. And really that first level of consciousness is just being aware of yourself. And his, his definition is that consciousness is becoming aware of our awareness or starting to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. Does that, does that make sense? So, so first, first step is is find a, a, a step away from the noise, find a, find a quiet place, and thirdly, be present with yourself, be present in the moment, and, and fourthly, be present with God. The heart of contemplating prayer or of centering prayer is God is the center. God is the center of all things, and so we're becoming present to His presence which is always with us. But we want to learn from people like the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, where Jacob is on his journey, he's on his spiritual journey, and he lays down and he has this dream in this place called, he then calls Bethel. And when he wakes up, during this dream, he has this vision of God and vision of the kingdom of God breaking in. And he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. So contemplative prayer is saying, God is his... God is in this place, and I want to become aware of it. I want to be present to who he, who he is. Um, I don't know if this will help you or not, but I came up with a little mantra for myself. I'm not sure if this is just David trying to be a mystic, but <laughs> maybe it's just more confu- consu- confusing. But I, I once was walking along the beach in contemplative prayer, and was just so in awe by the presence of God around me and the incredible creation that I was witnessing. And I said, God, you are more real than I am present to. And you are more present than I am real to. God, you are more real than I am present to. So the reality of God, I'm not always present to the reality of who he is. And then he is he's more present than I am real to. That, that who he is, if if I was really real to myself and his abiding presence with me, like 
oh my gosh, I would not react that way, or I would not say that thing. And so it's like, God, help me to be present to your presence. That's, that's the heart of contemplative prayer. It's God, I'm simply <coughs> being present to your presence and knowing that that's just a space that I can be in that's just all gift and there's nothing I can do to make that happen, but it's just by your goodness that I get invited into that space. Jesus says it this way. He, he welcomes us into the mystery of this space in John 15 where he says, abide in me and I'll, I'll abide in you. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that reading off your list of prayer requests? No, I don't think it is. I think it's just being. John chapter 1 says that the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. That word is his tabernacle, his living presence with us. Jesus is inviting us into the mystery of his living presence and just to abide in that space. John chapter 14, Jesus says, If anyone welcomes me, my Father and I will come and make our home in him. <coughs> this, this abiding presence of God is the mystery of what we're welcoming into. Again, John 17, Jesus prays, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, I pray that they will be in us. So we are invited into this miraculous mystery of the Trinity and, and I, I'm convicted that one of the best places and steps to, to find that and experience that is, is through contemplative prayer and through if, if the first level of consciousness is being aware of ourselves the second level of consciousness would be or a deeper level is, is being aware of God's presence we're not trying to think God in our brain but we're trying to be with God in our spirits some have called this thinking without thinking or thinking from a soul, soul space. All right, let me wrap this up with our fifth step because a good prayer model has five steps, I'm sure. <laughs> the fifth step is to simply hold that space in faith. All, all prayer requires faith. And, and just holding that space and being persistent in that space with, as an act of faith is, is where and how I believe God comes and meets us. You don't, you don't want to analyse it and certainly not too quickly. You just want to repeatedly and habitually keep coming back to that space. There's a beautiful, not, you know, the, the miraculous and beautiful story of Mary when the angel comes to visit Mary and say, hey, you are going to birth the Christ child. And she says to the angel Gabriel, well, I'm not sure if you've kind of known me real well, but I'm a virgin, so I don't know how that will happen. And the angel says, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power, and you're going to conceive a child, and, and this child's name will be called Jesus. And, and she's like, wow. And so Mary's response is so beautiful. I am the body servant of the Lord. Let it be done unto me. Contemplative prayer is putting ourselves in faith, in this space of saying, God, let it be done unto me. It's the opposite. You know, Jesus said the Pharisees and the, the rulers, the scribes, they get up there, they think with their many words they're going to impress God. Contemplative prayer is the opposite of that, saying, God, there's no words that I can have to impress you, but I'm going to be in this space where the work of your Holy Spirit is done unto me. And all I'm doing is putting myself there. And letting go of every other agenda and every other thought and every other noise just to be with you in faith that your Holy Spirit will do the work that you promised to do in my life. 
his presence, being present to his presence transforms our life and our person and our and I believe it also transforms our perspective. I think contemplative prayer brings us to a, a place of, of wisdom and understanding mystery and, and the paradox of, of life and, and Christian faith. And by that I mean we, we read in the scriptures and we understand that, that God is good and God's good all the time, yet we live in a world with incredible pain and suffering. I don't think you can. I don't think you can rest in the the understanding of that through intercession. You can only be with that paradox and be okay with that in contemplative prayer. Because in intercession, we will just try to fix it. But in contemplative prayer, and and when this happens to us personally, and you recognise there's nothing you can do to fix it, then all you have is contemplative prayer. And so it's like God, the world is falling apart, but you are still good, and therefore I'm okay. It's okay, even if everything else is broken surrounding me. You are still good. And so contemplative prayer brings us to a place of wisdom that the prophets and the psalmists speak about of this is both and. It's it's like both both things apply. There's suffering in the world, but God is good. Absolutely both those things coexist. Whereas I think if we just stay in intercessory prayer, if we just stay in that place, we'll try to fix everything. Uh, and well, that's the extreme of it, I guess. And but and also, we'll just see things as black and white. So God's only moving if this has happened, if this this result, if this agenda is is reached. Then that's where we see God. It's like no, God's moving all the time, and even in our losses, and even in our suffering, and even where we we don't feel or see God around, He's moving. My my story, and I, I'll, I'll just wrap it up with this. But uh, uh, contemplative prayer and practice has always kind of been something that that I was drawn to without realising there was a word for it, for contemplative prayer. So I did my internship in California at the Vineyard School of Ministry, which is located up in the mountains on on an old horse range of 360 acres. And one of my favourite things to do was uh, at 3,800 feet where we were situated, the top of the mountain was more like like another 1,000 feet above that, and the, the storm would come in and the cloud would come in and start snowing, and so my, I grabbed my drives man to stay a little bit Australian and my, my Cooper hat and I'd hike up the mountain into the cloud. And, and people would say, why are you going up there in the storm? I'm, go, I'm like, I'm going up there because there's a storm. Because that was my place where I would, I would go and meet with God. It was, it was just my, and it's like, I just want to be with you. And I don't know if I was hoping for some like, Transfiguration moment where you know <laughs> Jesus and Moses and Elijah would appear before me, but it was just like I just needed to be with God, and and not even say words, but just walk through the mountain and, and be embraced in the fog and the snow and just be with Him. Or there's another place where I I drive up as far as the four wheel drive would go, and I'd put my blanket down and I'd look over this incredible, beautiful desert valley floor, and I'd just sit and worship for hours just to be with God. And I didn't know that was a contemplative practice. It's just, it was just in my spirit to meet with God. And then when I planted the church in Cronulla, I, I, I lived near the water and I had a little prayer rock that I would sit on and I'd have my cup of tea and I'd just be with God. And I remember one Sunday morning um, saying to God as I sat on this rock and looked out over the ocean, I'm like, God, this big day at church today, I'm, I'm here because I, I really need you. And I felt the spirit of God say, I'm here just because I love you. 
to God. And I think contemplative prayer takes us to that place. I'm like, I'm just here because you're good. I was thrown into it then through my divorce. Um, when I lost career, I lost family, and I lost the marriage. And all I had was a candle. I couldn't feel God. I couldn't feel faith. It wasn't like in my suffering I had this amazing presence of God with me. I, was, I had nothing. But I just remember I had this candle. And I'd light the candle. And I'm like, every morning I'd just sit and light the candle. And I said, God, as this flame flickers, it's my statement that you are present with me. I know you're present with me. Even though I can't feel you or know you right now, know, I know you're present. I'm just going to state in faith. I'm going to sit here with this candle just know that you're present. I was too traumatized to read or pray like the Bible or anything like that. But I just sat with this candle. And I remember talking to my therapist a few months later and I was saying, hey, I feel like I'm changing. He goes, oh, how so? I said, well, I feel like I'm more present with people. I feel like I'm, I'm listening more to them and not trying to speak my agenda into their life. I just want to hear from them. And I said, and my anxiety is subsiding. I'm, I'm feeling peace where I didn't expect to feel peace. And I said, and all I'm doing is just sitting with my candle every morning. And he said, David, this is it. Oh, I'm <laughs> This is the contemplative practice that like Mary, the Holy Spirit's coming and it's being done unto you. And I know one of the things that um, Tracy was attracted to me when we started dating was just the space I gave her to speak, to say, oh, I want to hear, and I remember those times I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off, please finish what you're saying, because, because this contemplative practice was saying, hey, it's not about me, and so, so that, that there's some of the, the changes that, that there's peace, there's learning to be present with people and hearing their story, that happens, I think, in this transformative space of contemplative prayer. Um, as long as well as and very much so a deeper affection for the Father. So the more I was pressing into contemplative prayer, the more I wanted to be in contemplative prayer, um, and that was enough for me. That was just like this, this where the church was buried in my, my space of contemplative prayer. Ended up doing retreats by myself, like up at Terrible at the beach, just, just by myself for three days and just in contemplative prayer and just like that. So let me give you the how-tos, right? I probably am one that would, that would not be unlike me. So how do, how do we wrap this up? I just want to say this, you know, in the vineyard, we, we are a people who, who long for and hunger after the power of God. We, we are a charismatic movement, and we want to see God's, God's power come and bring transformation to life. And I'm absolutely with that. But we're also a people of His presence. And we experienced that in worship this morning. And sometimes it's like, as I started this teach with like, well, are these opposing forces? Can we can we be in contemplative prayer and just enjoying the presence of God with no agenda other than Him, and still be a charismatic people who's looking for the power of God to come and transform lives? And I'm like, absolutely yes. And you have to hold those tensions in balance. If you're just being in contemplating prayer the whole time, you're going to become an introvert and a monk, and and that's, not, and that's probably not going to bless a lot of people unless maybe that's a little calling in life. But if it's an escape, you know what I mean, 
that, that's not healthy. But if you just stay over here, the power, and, hey, I'm bringing the kingdom of God and everything, and, and God's like, well, I'm doing a lot of things over here that you would hear. So, you know, Greg's talking about, hey, we only do what we see the Father doing with Jesus' words. So the, the doing of what the Father's doing comes through this recognizing the power of God's presence, but the seeing what the Father's doing comes from what I think of just being with Him. This, this lifestyle that Jesus modeled to us, advancing the kingdom with going to solitary places. So for me, the, the, the presence of God that we love in the vineyard and the power of God that we love in the vineyard come together because we want to encounter God and commune with Him. So let me just give you a couple of a few things. So what does that look like? How might work for you? Well, maybe you need a handle like I started with, or maybe not. If you're if you're like a Martha and you need to, you're one of those people that you're going to fix God's world before breakfast to so the world's in order. Not looking at anyone. <laughs> then then sitting for 20 minutes in contemplative prayer and just being still is going to be a huge challenge. So you might want to do a walk. Find a nice place where you like to walk, whatever that means for you. That might be the city streets. I, I don't know how you get away from the noise there. But, you know, a, a bush path or a beach or somewhere that you can be active in your body but still in the spirit. That'll, that'll help you let go of fixing the world for Jesus and just, just be with him. Because if you're that Martha sort of person and, and Mary's at Jesus' feet, that's, that's going to be really hard for you to say, well, but you, you'll learn to. So, so maybe that's helpful. Um, and, and maybe just start by just a few minutes of just letting go of your thoughts. And just, if you notice it, just again, don't judge it and just let it go and just start to be. Just set a time. Maybe it's just a um, five to ten minutes at first. Um, a good place to get to is 20 minutes if you can sit and be still. In, in, in quietness of soul and mind and spirit for 20 minutes, that's, that's a good place to get to. There might be helpful things to lead you into that, like sometimes I start with worship, whether it's me playing guitar myself, or if there's a favourite song I've heard, and I put that on, an intimate song that leads me into, into worship and in the presence of God, then turn it off and just be still in His presence. And lastly, listen, listen to the invitation of Jesus to come and rest with Him. Come away with me. And find a quiet place and rest for a while. Jesus says in John chapter 16, uh, verse 12, he says to his disciples, I have more to say to you right now, but more than you can bear. It's like, wow, could you imagine that? You're in that class and Jesus is the king of kings, but I've got so much more of the kingdom to tell you, you're just not ready for it yet. It's like, wow. Well, I'm going to put myself in this place because that's how God prepares my soul. To see more of his kingdom. So that's that step of faith. So find a, find a practice that works for you. Be kind to yourself in the journey and just welcome God's presence and expect the more. Let's stand and
And it felt like there was an invitation for anyone who feels like it's been a long time since I've just sat with Jesus without agenda. I just felt, I just felt in preparation, just felt like a real fresh invitation coming from the Holy Spirit to say, why don't you just sit with me and just not justify yourself, not excuse yourself, not repent for yourself, not try to save the world for Jesus. Why don't you just, this fresh invitation to just sit and be refreshed by you. It's that Matthew text that I said, come and, come and receive rest for your soul. I felt like the Holy Spirit wants to just welcome you into that space. And then during worship, I felt like the Lord gave me a, a, a text. Um, when, when, when David sees the giant Goliath, and he says, he says in response, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I just, I just felt like maybe for some of us there's some giants in our life right now. And, and they seemed, they maybe they seem so enormous. It's like, God, I don't know how you're going to deal with that. I just felt like God, God wanted to bring a perspective that who is this giant that he could defy the living God? He's no giant at all to God. And to, when we see that giant through God's eyes, he's suddenly not a giant anymore. So whatever space, if you resonate with that, then let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we, we do, we respond in our hearts and our soul, our spirits and our minds and our bodies. Say, Lord, we, we respond to your invitation to come away with you to a, a quiet place and rest for a while. Holy Spirit, would you, would you um, this morning, even in this, in this couple of minutes right now, just refresh us in that and, and bring a taste of what that is of what is to come in that space for us, Lord. Come and bring refreshing. And, and I know there's, there's so much noise that happens in our life and so much going on and so much demand and so much instant access and, and responsibilities and they're not all wrong. It's just part of living in this life. But God, you see that and you see beyond that and you see more than that and you invite us to a quiet, lonely place just to sit and be loved on by you. And maybe it's been a long time since you've relaxed into the goodness of God. You can relax into the goodness of God. Father, we welcome you into this space. We pray, come and meet us in this space. And this, where there's giants, where there's hurdles, where there's obstacles that we're like, I don't know how I'm going to get above that or around that. Jesus, would you come and show us your perspective that that giant is no giant to you. And show us how we could step forward in faith and, and slay that giant God. Come and meet us in that space, God. So we welcome you, Father. Come and meet us to, in a, not only a contemplative prayer, but a contemplative journey and a contemplative life. That we sit and be with you and then we go on and see your kingdom come and then come back and sit with you in those quiet. Jesus' name. Amen.